Welcome back to another episode of Risk Sonar. I'm your host, Luke Velasco, of course, joined by Tony Mulder. We've got a fantastic lineup for you today. Interest rates are going up. The stock market's going up. Who knows what a recession is anymore? We've got a lot to talk about today. Uh, Tony, um, you and I were talking a little bit before the show. You got a little riled up, you know, about, you know, actually, before we get to all that, a nice point. It's my daughter's birthday today. So, Alice, I love you. Anyways, yeah, back to recession here. So, What's going on right now? We got interest rates. What what are those even? And yeah, so I mean, you have GDP second quarter GDP print mm-hmm. tomorrow morning. So that wow. initial report. So based on GDP now, so that kind of real time forecast based on macro data points yeah. that go into the overall GDP from the Atlanta Fed. They're expecting negative or GDP reading to be about negative one percent. 1.6%. It just sorry. means that growth has it's, contracted yeah, at 1.6%. All yeah, goods and services. Yeah, ultimately, it, the economy is slowing, right? Yeah. It's it's not just growing at a slower rate. It's not. It's actually shrinking. Yeah. And that's it's concerning because when you think recession, traditionally you think two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. Granted, there are still some bright spots in the economy. If you look at the labor market... It's still okay. It's not, it hasn't felt some of these same pressures from inflation that other things or other impacts have. But I mean, really, when you start looking into it, look at initial jobless claims, they're on the rise. Look at the tech layoffs that are happening everywhere. I mean, Shopify just announced 10%. 10%. I mean, and it's thousands of people, right? I mean, at Shopify, it's over a thousand people at 10%. So, I mean, it's not. These aren't small layoffs, and it seems like they're happening everywhere. And obviously, it's the big companies that are announcing them. But these big companies are some of the smartest, big, I mean, they're smartest companies in the world, and they're acting in this way. What happens when people start to really feel it, these smaller companies? Things are going to happen there as well. You know who's not laying off employees right now, though? Freightways. So, you know, if you're interested, go on freightways.com backslash jobs, and you might be able to find something. But you're right. Um, there, there is a lot of that. So I think that that's the missing piece right now, right? Because we're seeing demand come down, right? Inflation is still um, applying a lot of uh, pressures on on to people um, and consumers, uh, which is slowing down that buying process. Uh, Walmart announced on Monday, uh, world's largest retailer, that they're seeing a lot of margin compression. As a result, their stock dropped about ten percent. They said investors should look for that when they release it. They didn't even release earnings. Yeah. Yeah, right. and they won't until like mid-August, but you're seeing right. eight, what was it? They were basically pre-announcing eight to 9% decline right. in the second quarter, 12 to 13% decline in the full year. That's a big drop yeah. for a company of that size that should be one of the more savvy shippers and understand these things. Well, guess what? They did like everybody else has done and order too much stuff. They have too much inventory. I mean, there's been articles about Walmart's inventory overflowing at the stores themselves, not just in their DCs and warehouses around the country, in the stores themselves. And guess what? They don't need to bring stuff in if they can't move what they already have. And ultimately, this is where it gets a little interesting. We've talked about the ports, right? The congestion at the ports Mm -hmm. and how there's so many ships off the coast. Well, if you look downstream from there, right? So into the retail stores, inventory overflowing at the stores. You look at warehousing capacity, basically full. I mean, Prologis announced, what, 98% occupancy? Yeah. There's no room at the ports themselves. 
these ships are effectively warehouses at sea. They don't need to move. Like, there's nowhere for anything to go. Is it too late for... Me and Donnie were talking about it today. Is it too late already for a Christmas season, like, rush, a fourth quarter boom on the ocean? Because if you think about it, it's going to take time for all these ships to get unloaded. Get right. You've got, what, 30 days from the East Coast to get back to China to get loaded again and get back? Doesn't seem like those things that would be coming from China are going to be here in time for Christmas, even though we're in, what, the end of July? Yeah, I mean, a good rule of thumb on the ocean side is if it's not here by the end of the third quarter, you're not selling it in uh, peak yeah. you're not selling it at Christmas time or New Year's here um, in the United States. And and it's your point, right? There's no point in bringing more goods here if we're not able to, if, if there's no place for them, yep. right? So um, w- one of the places I like to look about this, right? We've, we've been looking um, extensively at the domestic market, but I, I think it's a great place to start. You know, we, we've seen van uh, movements fall off. We've seen... Uh, reefer movements fall off. Now we're beginning to see flatbed movements really, really soften. Still a lot tighter than van and reefer, um, but they've definitely come down. So I want to go ahead and throw up this chart here just to kind of see where we are as a whole. This chart, for those that might be familiar, this is our tender rejection chart. Uh, I love this chart because it's it's really the first mover in the tr- domestic markets, right? You know, prices move after tender rejections, right? Um but this is, for those that aren't familiar with this index, in short, the higher these numbers here, the higher the percentage, the more options a carrier has, yeah. right? So if I'm a truckload company and this number is really high, I have leverage over a shipper like Walmart, Coca-Cola, go down the list. The lower this number, the opposite effect. So the reason why these numbers are really good, I mean, that orange and blue line there, that's Van and Reefer. Those ones are there at the bottom, Right. Those have been so low, there's just less inventory that shippers need moved. As a result, carriers have cannot be as picky. Flatbed there, though, in green, which is just now beginning to come. It's You saw it peak there in March. It peaked after the others, and it's slowly been stair-stepping down, and now it looks like it's accelerating a little bit. Um, but flatbed's, flatbed's a different market from Van and Reefer, right? You know, what, what's influencing that, Tony? Well, I mean, when you think about flatbed, it's more niche, right? I mean, you've got various different things, whether yep. it's construction, oil field services, uh, things up in the North Pacific Northwest with like logging, paper mills, things like that. So it's very, it's more of this niche movement. It's very small. Uh, there's a lot of nuance that goes into flatbed moves, whereas anybody really, for the most part, can get their CDL and drive a drive in. It's, right. it's relatively easy compared to that flatbed market. And then you have to think about the shipper base on each side shippers that ship via dry van. It's a little bit wider as a whole and then on the flatbed side. And it shows up, I mean, when you think about kind of how, the way to kind of think about our data, if you think about vans 85, mm-hmm. of the overall index, van at 85% or 80%, reefer at like 15 and then, or even 85, 10 and five, right? Yeah. Van is just so much bigger. That's why, I mean, ultimately it's typically the one that you see the lowest. Right. I mean, van is, is definitely responsible for all of those, you know, dry goods. Anything that's going to be moving, you know, any of those big retailers, Amazon, yep. Walmart, Coca-Cola, go down the list, right? You know, it's, it's, it's heavily influenced. Um, so we, we're seeing flatbed soften. And one thing I like is we, we, we know that GDP has been declining and, and all the estimates seem that we're going to have a, another decline, which by traditional estimates or definitions of a rece- of recession would mean that we'll be in a recession after tomorrow. Um, Although we'll we'll find out for certain, but 
going along that that style of economic data, one thing I love about the flatbed data is it's it's one of the best leading indicators for where some of those government data sets go. Like housing starts is a big one, right? And housing, the housing market has been a hot topic, right? Because it's it's been pushing higher and higher, and a lot of these inf- interest rates are now influencing mortgage rates, right? Where are yeah. mortgage rates now? Over five and a half percent? Yeah, they're still over five percent. I mean, they are falling, but I mean, mortgage demand is falling faster than yeah. these. And I mean, you start looking at home builder sentiment, right? It's another kind of measure of what people think. It's it's like at the lowest levels of yeah. all time. So I mean. Flatbed and our flatbed data is kind of showing that slowing in the in like the housing, the construction space, right? If you think about flatbed, another one, heavy machinery for housing, right? Construction, you're seeing housing starts really fall off a cliff too. If housing starts fall and they are beginning to fall, but if that if that continues and accelerates, Tony, who does that does that help anybody? Is that good for a buyer or is it is it an indication of something worse? It's well, it's one of those weird... Uh, the housing market can be interesting, right? So we didn't build... So we're short supply on houses already, as is. And so it's part of the reason you saw prices just skyrocket was everybody with the pandemic, people wanted to move out. They wanted to buy houses, things like that. Drove prices up. Well, now you have the Fed kind of taking action, right? Well, mortgage rates aren't solely tied to what the Fed does right. in raising interest rates. They do are impacted slightly, right? It's all of that. They're all interconnected because, I mean, ultimately what the Fed's doing is basically setting the price at what a bank borrows. So that's, that's the big thing. So it, it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't really help anyone. I mean, it's, you would want to see housing starts remain pretty strong because I mean, that means you're building, you're getting ready to build that supply that we are short. I mean, and that's still true. The housing market's still short supply. But the problem is now we've just killed demand by yeah. mortgage rates being as high as they are and prices being as high as they are. Yeah, so you get a hit by the double whammy. Let's go ahead and throw up this next chart here. This is this is what we're referring to here. So that blue, that blue chart is housing starts. It's a monthly update over the last five years. The yellow line there is flatbed tender rejection rates there. That's on the left y-axis. Uh, but that's also over the last five years. Um, and look at that. Yeah, I mean, flatbed flatbed tender rejections there peaked in March, and it looks like two months later, uh, the housing starts peak. So basically, this is about two months ahead of where housing starts are. So, you know, I would anticipate the next update that we get with housing starts to either be down or maybe maybe slightly flat at best. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at, be- at best flat. I mean, it, yeah. we did... In June, they didn't fall as fast as they did from May to June, but right. they still fell in a pretty significant manner. I mean, you're talking a two percent decline. It's not just a. It's not a small decline, right? But it wasn't near as fast. And I don't know. I mean, even if you look back throughout this, like you don't really see that many that are that sharp, and then down again that sharp. Yeah, basically, <laughs> it, it really you see you may see one drop one month drop really quick and then flatten out. So it will be interesting to see. I mean, my guess is you're going to see it kind of flatten out a little, but still kind of on this downward trajectory, just not near as fast yeah. as it was. Now, we've, we've got to talk about we got to transition a little bit here. We have to talk about the the, the relationship between spot and contract race. We, we talked about that a lot last week um, when we had our guests from Emerge on. And, you know, we, we, we've been seeing we, we've seen contract rates 
flatline, right? Yeah. They, they've peaked, but spot rates have continued to push lower. Um, and it's, it's only a matter of time before those new contract rates start to come into play and drive those contract rates um, further down. In fact, we've already seen them come down slightly. Yeah. Um, and with fuel surcharges now coming down as well, technically the, the rates are coming down as well. Uh, it's just a little bit mass. Let's go ahead and throw this up here for folks. So what you're going to see is the blue line is going to be contract rate per mile. That's line haul. So fuel is pu- pulled out for this example. So that, that's, uh, that's, your, that's your blue line is contract rate per mile for van. And then the green line there is spot rate per mile. Again, line haul. Um, so yeah, I mean, massive, massive spread there. Yeah, and I mean, it's I mean, it's almost as wide as it's ever been. And I think that's the key. I mean, we talked about it last week. How fast can contract rates come down? And it, it takes time. It's not like I flip a switch and they just come down. It, it's going to take some time. And this is where the shipper, the big shippers, a little more st- tactical, little savvy. Right. They they can operate it. They can play in the spot market to take advantage of lower rates in the spot market while they're also trying to get this, the new bid in place and ready to be like actually tendered out and things like right. that. So it does take a little time. I mean, we saw it come down there at the beginning of July and bounce right back up. But if you look at spot rates, they did almost the same thing. And then about the middle of the month on, they really fell off. Yeah. <clears throat> Now, it makes sense, right? Because we, we've seen, basically what we're seeing is the carriers are just accepting all of their contract. Tender rejections have gone down. As a result, carriers are trying to keep their trucks on the contract market, but now shippers are slowly beginning to push push back against that. But, but you know, I think we're, we're starting to see some of these logistics companies report earnings and some of the big ones have given some surprise. Covenant beat estimates. So the question ultimately is, while we are in a down market and the market's continuing to soften and at a pretty rapid rate, does anybody benefit, any type of carrier benefit in this type of downward market? At the moment, they do. I mean, the big ones that operate yeah. under contract rates, they definitely do. And I think that's the some of the part that, I don't want to say it got lost in translation, but people just don't, they hear the word bloodbath, things like that. And it's we're, who we're talking about at that time is small owner operators. They're facing a difficult path. Yeah. Look at spot rates and how far they've fallen. That is how they make their money. Look at a Night Swift or a Covenant. They have contracts. They're making... Look at what contract they rates... They love right now. They Look at what contract rates did in the second quarter. They were at almost $3 without fuel surcharge. And I think we have a chart here in a little while yeah. to show that fuel surcharge. They were making money hand over fist. Yeah. And so... These results, to me, aren't a surprise, even though, I mean, look at a J.B. Hunt and their brokerage. They reported a decline in revenue, or not volume, yeah. but an uptick in revenue, right? So they're seeing some softening, but their contract rates that, I mean, they, they had more contract volume in that quarter than they had in the previous quarter. So like as a percentage of their total volume. right? So it's not a surprise. And guess what? I don't think any other carrier that comes out, that's going to be a surprise, especially those that are yeah. more skewed to the contract market. Yeah. We've got to take a look at fuel here uh, because I think this is something that a lot of the big carriers benefit from um, compared to those small carriers, especially in this time. Right? So we, we've seen fuel hit the highest point that it's ever been. Fuel surcharges are at some of the highest points it's ever been. Um, so there, there's two fuel surcharges. Or there's two fuel prices you're looking at on the screen, the blue and the yellow. The blue line is ULSDR or the rack price or the wholesale price of fuel. Um, 
That's what your big carriers, your Night Swifts, your JB Hunts, Covenants of the world are going to be buying. As a general rule, this isn't a, an absolute, but if you want to tr buy true rack, and I'm not talking you get in a fuel program or something like you have a true rack price. It's you're, you have to be at least a couple hundred trucks. Yeah. Bare minimum. Um, you know, the, these are companies that have thousands of trucks, right? Or many, many hundreds, five, six, seven hundred trucks to be able to get, and they're going directly to the fuel companies and negotiating their own uh, wholesale price. So that's the blue line, okay? The, the, the yellow line there is the retail price, the diesel truck stop price per gallon, right? Sitting over at 541 a mile. The, the, the tricky part now, if you're in like California, it's probably like, you know, $75 a gallon. But anyways, the, the challenge here, or, the, or not the challenge, the benefit, those big fuel surcharges are made off of the, the DOE price, that yellow line. Yeah. So I'm a big carrier. I'm Covenant. I'm Knight Swift. I'm, I'm Schneider. I'm paying my fuel down here when fuel surcharges are made up here. Those, you talked about the bloodbath, those small carriers, they're buying fuel up here spot rates are going down here. Yeah, and that's that's the squeeze. And I mean, Covenant's perfect. I mean, it's a perfect example. Go look at their total truckload revenue increased like 23% year yeah. over year, right? It was like 280 million. Go look at their truckload or truckload freight revenue X fuel. It went up like 12%. What's that tell you? They made a, they brought in a lot more revenue based on those fuel prices. And guess what? Right that's here. exactly what it showed. Typically, it's in that dollar, right? Yeah. Dollar per gallon range, and we're talking. The spread is like a dollar sixty. Yeah, we got to look. At, we got to look at this next one here. So that's the thing, right? So we we know that there's a difference. The question is really where's that spread? And I, what I want to show you, don't pull the chart yet, but the 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 bigger the spread between that rack price, remember the wholesale and the retail price, the the better these companies do, and. Just go ahead and pull up the chart. We're going to show the last five years for, of fuel. This is the price. This is the spread between that wholesale price of fuel that the big carriers buy and the retail price or the price of the pump that fuel surcharges are made on. It's yeah. the highest it's ever been in five years. Yeah. Not even it, close. Yeah. I mean, the only other time it was anywhere remotely close was in April of 2020. Right. When... Well, you think, have to think about how the oil market was playing out at yeah, that exactly point, right? right? I mean, we're talking oil under $20 a barrel. Not so, really a fair fight. This is, I actually wrote about this for the Daily Watch tomorrow, and you'll see it in there. You're looking at this spread, and this is why big carriers, they're not really that concerned right now because they know that, hey, I can pass off high fuel prices and make money on it. Yeah. And, the pro and this is driving, we talk about rejection rates, right? This is one of those drivers of rejection rates, because those with fuel surcharges, the incentive to stay under contract and get the fuel surcharge is so high right now yeah. that there's no point in rejecting freight. No. Look at California, look at Ontario. So we have this fuel spread for every market. You look at like Ontario, California, diesel prices are like 645 a gallon. Rejections are under 4%. Yeah. The spread is like $2.45 yeah. a gallon. So I mean, you're talking... Where, what incentive do you have to get out of the contract? No, there's none. There's none. They're going to hold, they're going to fight tooth and nail to keep it. In yeah. fact, they might even, maybe they'll say, like, imagine this. I'll just give, I'll give a customer a 10% break on my contract rate because I know fuel is still going to benefit me. And yeah. that way I can hopefully keep my rates somewhat high. Yeah. I mean, it, it, when you start to break it down and look at all the impacts that go into what, why a carrier would reject a contracted load, 
I mean, fuel has to play an impact, especially in a market like right now, where you're talking about diesel prices. Yes, they've they've come down from their highs, but they're coming down a penny, two pennies a day on the national level. Like it's yeah. not like it's enough to to really affect anything. And it really gets interesting when you start looking at the uh, spot rates, because if you track spot rates, put NTI and NTIL, they track perfectly. One includes fuel and one doesn't, but they're obviously. It's a lot higher, but guess right. what? It, it's showing that the fuel impacts aren't really driving the rates. It, no. They're actually, the rates are being driven lower. Yeah. So I think that's what, there's not been that real big prop up that people may have thought, hey, fuel prices are so high, we got to keep rates a little higher. Like, it's just proving that it's not necessarily the case. Yeah, if fuel, if fuel continues to slide, and I know it's only slid at a very mildly at this point, but if it does slide further and accelerate. I'd be interested to see what happens to those spot rates if they fall further. Yeah, I mean, it, that's going to be interesting. They seem like they've found a short-term floor for right now. Yeah, I mean, we're right. Uh, $2, what is the NTI? $2.75. Probably $2.75. I don't remember the exact number. Yeah, it's around like, $2.75, all in. Yeah, and another thing in the Daily Watch is talking about this July. What is July like? If you look at July over the past four years, so back to 19. So 2019, 2020, 2021, and then this year. Three of the four years, spot rates exited July lower than where they started the month, right? That shows that softness in July. The only exception was 2020, and that was because the market was starting to turn up. And and every the goods economy was kind of reopening, right. things like that. So 2021, 2020 is kind of proving to be an anomaly, which, not a surprise. I mean, you look at all the data, it's it's crazy. But then you look back at 2021, people are like, it's anything but normal. But you actually look at what happened in it. Yeah. The trend itself was normal. The only problem or the only difference was rates were, what, $3? And yeah, it's just the trend started up here. Yeah, exactly. So it didn't feel like it was as big of a decline. I think it was like $0.09 cent decline last year or yeah. something from July 1st to July 30th. So, I mean, it, or... No, I take it back. It was four cents last year. It was nine cents in 2019, no. and it's been nine cents so far right now. I know you figure that out. Sonar. Yep. Do you have it in front of you? No, uh, you don't. I don't have it, but <laughs> I did Got write him. it. It's, it'll be in the Daily Watch tomorrow. It'll be in the Daily Watch tomorrow. Another reason to go read the Daily Watch tomorrow. Um, yeah, no, that, that'll be exciting. On a totally separate note, um, we've, got a, we've got an exciting event coming up. Yeah. Um, well, there's a few exciting events, you know, uh, but the big one is, you know, F3, yeah. Future Freight Festival. Um, you'll, if you go to it, you'll get to meet us. You know, we'll, we'll be, be there, there, obviously. It's going to be an exciting time in Chattanooga. It's going to be the best uh, in-person event ever in the freight world. Yeah. Um, it's going to be it's going to be a good part. What I'm excited for about this event is it ends at 3 p.m. What? The the sessions end at 3 p.m. Yeah. So then after that, there's going to be activities and networking, oh. right? Happy hours, all that type of stuff. And I think that's what people want. People want, yeah, they want to get a little knowledge, see yeah. what's going on with the latest technology. But then it's like, go out, go meet people. Who else is coming here? Yeah, I mean, that's what I noticed really at, I mean, at Future Supply Chain is yeah. there were a lot of people kind of that three o'clock window. People are just kind of tired at that yeah. point. They, they're ready to go out, meet with people. They've set yeah. meetings. They, they're networking. And that's yeah. the whole, one of the luxuries of the event. But I mean, this one's going to be awesome. I mean, I've heard some of the the stuff lined up, and it's it's going to be tough to beat. Yeah, 
we tried to get uh, Craig to land his seaplane. I don't know if that's the official term for one of those things on the on the river, but apparently that was too many complications to make that happen. <laughs> but that would have been extra awesome. But it'll be it'll be a good time. We're gonna have our show there too, and we'll showcase all the new sonar updates. Speaking of which, I'm not gonna tell you what they are, but there's going to be some magnificent updates coming to both truckload and ocean in the very near future. That's all I'm going to say about it. It's going to be revolutionary. Well, I mean, everything we do is revolutionary, okay. except yeah. for my haircut. That's that's pretty mediocre. But otherwise, it's going to be great. It is. All right, Luke, we've got about a minute left. All yeah. right, GDP number tomorrow. Where do you think it goes? Do you think it comes in at that 1.6, down 1.6, or do you think it's worse? Do you think it's a little better? As much as I'd love just because I um, I like a good tragedy. I'd love to hit, you know, just give us a nice round down 2%. Yeah. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's that low. No. I mean, I think, I do think we could. I think 1.6, 1.6 feels a little aggressive. I could see that for the physical goods market yeah. easily, yeah. easily. Yeah. Services, I feel like, might hold us up. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting. I, I think, I mean, I think you may even see. 1.45, that's my final prediction. I think, uh, I'm on the other side. I'm a down little more bearish. I think I'm down. I think I said 1.7. 1.7. So I don't know. I'm afraid. I mean, I just start looking at some of these earnings reports. Some yeah. of the big companies missing. It, we'll it, see. It's gonna well, that's all the time we have for today, folks. We'll see you next Wednesday live at 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. Have a fantastic rest of your week.